Welcome to another Buzz Marketing for Technology podcast. I'm your host, Paul Dunay, publisher of the blog, and today we're talking with Don Tapscott, co-author of a new book called Wikinomics. Welcome to the podcast, Don. Thank you. In the book, Don and his co-author, Anthony Williams, describe how the paradigm of today's companies are shifting from a closed, one-way dialogue to open, highly collaborative types of companies using enterprise 2.0 tools like wikis and social communities. They do a superb job of bringing to life the cutting-edge innovation that firms out there are operating in. So if this is your interest or your passion, like it is mine, this book and podcast is clearly for you. So, Don, over 16,000 people are actively producing on Wikipedia, right? And 250,000 people are contributing to Slashdot. And 140,000 developers are building applications using tools from Amazon.com. So what's going on here? Uh, well, Bob Dylan, something going on here, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> I think we're in the early days of uh, an economic revolution that is changing the way companies orchestrate capability, the way they innovate to create goods and services, and the way they engage with the rest of the world. And basically, if you can create an encyclopedia with a bunch of people who've never met, owned by no one, but the quality is as good as Britannica, what else could you create? Well... As you point out, you can create an operating system, other software. There are 150,000 open source application projects underway today. But you can also create things outside of technology like a mutual fund, marketocracy, or the beginnings of a bank, Zopa.com, or for that matter, a physical good like a motorcycle. Uh, as we point out in Wikinomics, the Chinese motorcycle industry is hundreds of little companies that all work together. They each create a part or parts. They meet in tea houses and on the Internet. And um, there's no OEM. There's no Harley or Yamaha pulling all the strings. And this is now the largest motorcycle industry in the world. So get ready for the $2,000 open source car coming from China as well. Excellent, excellent. You know, I love my iPod, and apparently so do scores of tenacious hackers who have created a number of different hacks, despite the fact that Apple has kept its architecture pretty closed. So although the iPod has this closed architecture, which is good at keeping competitors at bay, you know, is it really sustainable that a business model can lock in customers but discourage user innovation? Well, our view is that Apple's making a big mistake that they have a, a fabulous product, and it's not just a product, of course, it's a service, iTunes, and it's a whole experience. But in this new age of, uh, of, of Wikinomics, increasingly you need to engage your customers in new ways, and one of them is in co-innovating products and services with you. Apple and you know Steve Jobs have done lots of good things, but they've also made some big mistakes, and this is a replication of what they did initially with the Macintosh operating system. If they'd opened that up, made it available on other hardware, you know, we wouldn't be talking about Microsoft Windows today. We'd be talking about Macs and Mac Windows because Apple would be the largest and dominant software company in the world and it would be many times bigger than it is now, much more profitable. And I argued this to Apple management uh, back then unsuccessfully and, uh, I, I feel like I'm uh, not making a lot of progress today uh, with, with them as well. But basically, you need to open up. 
these principles of economics. You need to peer rather than just create things within the boundaries of your corporation in a hierarchical way. You need to open up in terms of communicating pertinent information to customers, employees, business partners, shareholders, and others. Thirdly, companies need to share their intellectual property. Not all of it, but uh, appropriately. I'll give you a, a, a good example of that. It's a company called Goldcorp, based in Toronto. And the a banker, a guy named Rob McEwen, who I know because he's my neighbor, took over the company. And he became very frustrated after several years when his geologist couldn't tell him how much gold he had or where it was. So he wondered, if my geologist don't know, maybe somebody else uh, does, and he held a contest on the Internet called the Gold Corp Challenge. But he shared his intellectual property, his geological data in the mining industry. This is heresy. Stuff is kept in safes and high-security computer systems. He offered uh, half a million dollars in prizes, got 77 submissions from all around the world. They used techniques that he'd never heard of, and for its half-million-dollar investment, found $3.4 billion worth of gold. And the value of his company went from $90 million to over $10 billion. And I can tell you, because he's my neighbor, he's a happy camper. So he's adopting the principles of economics. He, he's, he's peering rather than trying to figure out who should report to who and how to get a better geologist inside the boundaries of our company. He's communicating pertinent information to the rest of the world and sharing his intellectual property. And, and he's also, a fourth theme of economics, is acting global, not just local. He viewed the world as his geology department, and the results speak for themselves. Right, and perhaps you want to talk a little bit about some of the P&G examples, how they've opened to, to innovation as yep. well. Well, there are many different models of mass collaboration. Each of them have a, a way of uh, motivating the participants and, and of monetizing value. You know, so one of them is called Ideagoras. These are open markets for uniquely qualified minds. So when Procter & Gamble is looking for a molecule that will take red wine off a shirt, it doesn't look necessarily to the chemists within Procter & Gamble as, as the source of that molecule. It looks to the world on an Ideagora. So something like Innocentive has 90,000 chemists that are organized out there on the web to help companies like P&G get solutions to their, um, their problems. And just do the math. I mean, there are 9,000 chemists inside the boundaries of P&G and a million five outside the boundaries of P&G that they can now get access to. So what's the likelihood of the molecule being inside versus outside? So what happens is that there's a retired chemist in Taipei or a grad student in uh, Cleveland or a high school student in <laughs> some of the cases um, that comes up with the solution, they get paid, and it could be $100,000 or, or more. P&G now, by the end of this year, will have 50% of its innovations coming from outside the, the company, and they have over 22 brands now that are worth a billion dollars. This is an innovation machine because it's a company that understands these principles of economics. Fantastic. I, I love both of those examples. How can marketing help pave the way in making companies more open 
to outside innovation? What role do we play in it? Well, the first thing that that uh, marketeers need to understand is that marketing is changing fundamentally. You know, we've had this whole modus operandi of companies where, you know, we call it plan and push. You, you do market research, you come up with these great products and services, and then you push them out onto the market through mass media. Well, because of mass collaboration and the web, there are all kinds of new ways now of, of first of all, creating value that don't necessarily involve the the human capital inside your company. A good example would be prosumers, where you turn your consumers into producers. Second Life, the virtual world, is a great example of that. I'm going on to Second Life tonight, and my avatar is giving a lecture to other avatars. And in doing so, I will be creating the value of Second Life. 99% of the value of this community is created by its customers. So, there are new ways of creating value, but more to the point, there are new ways of engaging customers in the exchange of value. So rather than traditional mass marketing where, you know, the old saw half of my ads work, I just don't know which half. Well, I can tell you right now, a lot less than half work uh, in the sense that this new generation of youngsters, the net generation, 80 million strong in the U.S. alone, biggest generation ever, Half of the TV they watch, they're bleeping out the ads because they're time-shifting or watching it on the web. So you can, you're guaranteed that that half doesn't work because they never even see them. So this is not just about moving to interactive models of advertising, pay-per-click, and so on. This is about rethinking how you interact with your customers and consumers, how they become prosumers, how you engage them to co-innovate and create value. And, you know, your previous example of, of uh, iPods and ability to open the thing up and let its customers co-innovate with them is, is quite instructive. So for me, the four Ps of marketing, of course, is no longer a valid framework for thinking about marketing. Product, place, price, and promotion. Well, it's not about the product. It's about the experience that really counts. Place, well, it's not just the the things can be sold in the marketplace or the market space, the digital world, there's this intersection between them now. I call it the market phase, where you have location-based services and all these these services that are location-sensitive that become really important. So geospatiality is now a huge issue for marketers where you can get the right person to the right place by being in the market space. You know, so someone is looking for something like they want to. They're on their way home. They want a uh, a Sony uh, flat panel TV, 42 inches. If there's one on sale within 15 minutes of the route, and and the and the web tells you where that's located. As for price, the whole idea that sellers establish a price is a phenomenon of the industrial economy. Essentially, what's happening now is that Price is becoming a much more fluid construct that is is determined in part by the, the new power of the purchasers. So we've got eBay, of course, is one of the first examples where auctions become more important. But we have, you know, Google doing a a reverse auction for its IPO. We've got Vickery auctions and Priceline, um, where the buyer establishes uh, uh, the the price. 
there, there are these new agoras where the price discovery mechanism is essentially argument. So we're in the early days of some big changes on that one. And as for promotion, well, that's the old plan and push model, but now we can move much more towards the communications model. So you put all that together and you have something that's very different. I, I call it the uh, A, B, C, Ds, and, and E's of, of, of marketing. And, um, of course, a big part of this is the brand and huge changes that are taking place to the brand as well. The brand is, in this new environment, is not just an image or a word in the mind, you know, <laughs> a, pro- a promise. Things go better with Coke. You say that enough times and the Coke brand becomes established. Well, things don't go better with Coke for these young people if Coke is being accused of having pesticides in the product, as was in case in India. Coke lost its entire market. Young people organizing against it. And uh, at their fingertips, they have the most powerful tool ever for finding out and informing others and organizing collective responses. So in fairness to Coke... There are pesticides in the water supply in India, but that's not good enough anymore. So the brand becomes more of a uh, complicated construct. It has an architecture. And at the base of the architecture is integrity, one of the values of this new generation of youngsters that are growing up digital. And as, as part of this architecture, there are all kinds of new elements, new, new components of engagement, of co-innovation, prosumption, uh, new models of uh, the co- co-creation of value with consumers. So this is a time of big change. Perfect. Don, I want to thank you for your time today. And once again, you've been listening to Don Tapscott, author of a new book called Wikinomics. You can find his book on Amazon.com. And don't forget, once you've read the book, to join in on the conversation at Wikinomics.com.